This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Catherine Ruck and is part one of Transform, Being Changed by Generosity. Good morning. You can sit down for a minute. We're going to pray in a minute. But I want to start out this morning by saying when you walked in and saw this, you might have thought, oh, what's coming? And you might be a little nervous. Is this a sermon about money? especially after you saw the scriptures we read. I'm a little nervous, too, because it is a sermon about money. And that touches a place very close to all of us. So we're kicking off a four-week generosity initiative in the middle of our broader initiative. Um, This one is called Transform, Being Changed by Generosity. And you may have seen this. Hopefully you do have this with you. And we're going to be using this workbook over the next four weeks. So please keep it with you. Bring it with you. Um, So this this can be a journey about exposing your heart to the Lord and asking him to do a work inside you that uh, is transformational. I am Catherine Ruck. I'm Bishop Stewart's wife. And it's my honor to share God's word with you this morning and to kick off this, this transform. We'll be studying Luke 12 together and uh, really delving into the kingdom call to press into riches that will not grow old. When our family went on sabbatical to Brazil this summer, we had to pack eight people for two climate seasons, and we had to take a lot of different things to people in Brazil. So we crowded a 15-passenger van with people, and Brenda had her van, and we put in 16 suitcases and a bunch of backpacks and carry-ons. It was really quite embarrassing. When we got to Brazil, we unloaded all of these things, and we delivered what we needed to deliver, and we started to organize ourselves because we had to take a road trip and then a, a flight. And so as we rearranged our luggage, we realized, oh my goodness, we brought way too much. You know, two suitcases of books was a little bit too much. A lot of clothes that we realized we probably weren't going to need. And as we rearranged, we realized we also weren't going to have enough room for treasures that we wanted to buy where we were going. This Transform series is like a journey within the journey. We are on a, uh, a longer journey, moved by Jesus, that started a year ago. And this was a generosity initiative where we wanted the whole church to come along for two years and participate in this transformational journey of of generosity. We were looking for 100% participation and engagement, and that's what we're still looking for, because we want everyone to embrace generosity as a lifestyle, to give in a surrendered, gospel-driven way that's moved by Jesus, not just by other need, but by Jesus and his generosity toward us in not holding anything back. So we give to the work of his kingdom as it's expressed in the church, which he said is his body. It's his feet, it's his hands, and we give here so that um, the work of God can go forward beyond us. So now we're midway, and the first thing I want to say to you is thank you. I know a lot of you are giving very sacrificially. So we want to come together, be grateful for what God is doing. We also want to rearrange our baggage a little bit for the trip, uh, for the journey, and see what do we not need and what room do we need to make for more treasure that the Lord would want to bestow on us. So we're going to give you 
an opportunity for practical response, and I'm just going to tell you all about it right now. So pull out this commitment card that's in the back of your booklet. Now, this may feel to you like, oh boy, I, I'm going to have to think about a very specific number. But we know that the Lord works through matter. And so this is going to be an important journey for all of us to ask the Lord, where are you moving me? Where are you pushing me um, into greater dependence on you? On October 23rd, we are going to have an opportunity for everyone to bring this card forward in their newest commitment for the rest of our generosity campaign. This is what we're asking the Lord for that you take one of three steps, and we want 100% participation, you're choosing one of these three steps. Either a new commitment. You are here, uh, you're joining in, maybe you weren't ready to make a commitment a year ago, or maybe this is, um, you're, you just joined in the last year, and so we're asking you to make a first-time 12-month commitment to giving generously. Maybe you have been giving generously, and you just need to be able to finish strong, and we want to encourage you over these four weeks, um, for the challenges you may have faced, the, even how tired you may feel, we want you to be able to finish with a full heart. And so we want you to be encouraged in these four weeks. But it, it's possible that you are ready to increase your commitment. Maybe your financial circumstances have improved, or maybe the Lord just says, you know, I want to press in even deeper and call you to a greater sacrifice for the purpose of stirring up things in your soul. So you'll have that opportunity to take one of these steps at the end of our four weeks on October 23rd. Um, And so today, for the sermon that I'm going to be giving, could you turn to page 14 in your workbook? Steve? Anyway, on page 14 and 15, Steve? What are you doing? (laughs) Am I supposed to ignore what you're doing, or are you just... I'm sorry, is this distracting? It is very distracting. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I would go unnoticed. Um, Well, you see, the problem is, Catherine, the sunlight, it's it's been coming in through these beautiful windows, and it's actually, it's causing a little damage to the piano. And so, um, someone told me that we should get an advisor, so I got an advisor here, and I'm going to... That's not going to do it, Steve. To block the sun? No. You don't, there oh. are a lot of things that are being damaged by the sun, not just the piano. You know, that's, that's... I know that's your favorite thing, but... Well, you're right, though. There's lots of other things. Um, uh, the sun's coming in, and it's, it's also damaging our sound equipment back there. If you've ever sat over here you might um, have noticed some rips in the chairs. That's also um, from the beautiful sun coming through these beautiful windows. I don't know if you knew this, but as part of Move by Jesus, if we're able to meet our, meet our goal over these two years of raising $7 million, one of the sanctuary improvements we can do is uh, mechanized curtains that could be closed to help keep this room safe, keep all these things in good shape, um, but also lower energy, energy bill pretty significantly. It also make it a lot easier for invitational events like Holy Week and conferences like Revive and the uh, Replanted event in November. Yeah, I mean, I know what it's like during Holy Week when we're trying to hang those curtains up there. Yeah, um, hey, you know, since we're having this conversation, 
I, I might Is it also, a conversation, Steve? Yeah, yeah. I, I might also mention a couple other things. Um, if we're able to meet our goal of $7 million for the uh, Move by Jesus initiative, we'll also be able to build out some sorely needed additional ministry space for our res kids, our res youth, and our adult uh, ministries. We'll also uh, be able to provide some extra pastoral support for, uh, for res groups and transformation intensive and invest more in church planting. But, um, you know, maybe now's not the best time for us to have this full yeah. conversation, and I don't know if that's You're kind of really... upstaging me, so oh. maybe... Well, um, maybe I'll get down. I just want to... This is going to be awkward, though, because this beeps a lot, so... Yeah. I'll, I'll just go yeah, ahead. I'll, I'll be done. A, a I'll be done in awkward. a second. All right. As soon as it stops, yes, just a minute. King will pray. <laughs> just wait. It's almost done. All right. So if you have your workbook, you can there. turn to page 14. The scripture passage is there. Some questions, room for notes, and let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. We ask that this morning with this very tender subject, you would open our hearts to you with your good news. The good news that we actually don't need to live anxious lives because you have provided everything for us. So minister to us this morning, we pray, Lord, and draw us deeper into your heart and your kingdom. Bless me as um, the one who's sharing this word and is also working through these same issues, Lord. May I be your vessel at this time, in Jesus' name, amen. So this passage this morning, Do Not Be Anxious About Your Life, is a very familiar passage. You probably uh, are tempted sometimes, like I am, to go, oh yeah, that passage. Like, we'll ever really live that way. We're tempted to blow past it, but I think that I can make a fairly good assumption today about all of you here that probably not one single person here has learned to live free from anxiety about the needs that you have in your life. I know I have not reached that level of maturity yet to be fully free. So we need to come back to this passage again and again until we can live fully into this freeing word that Jesus gives us. I want to talk about the two worlds Jesus speaks of here. One world is full of anxiety about what we will eat and where, about how long we will live. The other world is God's kingdom that is free from anxiety because there truly is no fear. God himself provides all while we can have our imaginations consumed in eternal treasure. Jesus makes it really clear that we're supposed to abandon one world and seek the other world. He says that all the nations of the world seek after the fulfillment of those material needs through the pursuit of money. That is something we have in common the world over. Everyone is seeking this. But in the world of Jesus, God gives us what we really need, which is his kingdom. When we disengage from the values of the world, we disengage from where our heart is just pulling to go. It's just inclined to go that way. It's inclined to go to what we see, what we can acquire, to the pleasures and comforts that we can secure. But Jesus says, seek my kingdom instead, pull this way toward my kingdom. 
Growing up in Brazil, I was aware of the principalities of darkness that contend for that country. You know, every place sort of has its principalities and darknesses. In Brazil, it's syncretism of demonic spirituality with the church. It's a lack of discipline, maybe, the blatant bales of promiscuity and sensuality. But when I step off a plane into America, I sense a different kind of principality. I feel like I'm stepping into a cloud of dullness. It reminds me of the scene in The Silver Chair by C.S. Lewis in which the green lady keeps hypnotizing the travelers by reiterating that all that you see is all there is. These lamps are all that there is. There is no sun. This room is all there is. One of the ways this principality dominates those under its cloud is by convincing us that money is what will secure us and solve our problems. Living here, one can almost begin to believe it's possible, right? Living in America, we see people living that way, it seems like, reaching a place of comfort, free of suffering because all needs have been met. So how do we free ourselves from the principalities that can so infiltrate our thinking on this issue? How can we live under the realities that we don't see? One way to do this is to disengage from what our culture puts its faith in. And money is one of the great places where we can do some soul work of disengagement. Jesus addresses this many times. In Hebrews, it also says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what command do to me. The way we get to freedom from the love of money is to discover the presence of God. That we have him who is infinitely more and much better than money. We then discover the riches of God himself. And if we have his help, fear will no longer dictate who is our master. So we seek his kingdom, not the familiar kingdom of this world for the sake of freedom and being connected to God himself, who has said that we will struggle between two masters, right? Money and God himself. So if we choose him, what does that look like? When we seek his kingdom, we really have to do something countercultural. We almost have to uh, do things that jerk us into a reminder that we are not of this world. We're of a different world. I have a friend who grew up as a missionary kid in, in Colombia, and he told this great story of his family leaving the mission field to come on furlough to the States. And their father gathered the whole family, and he said to them, nothing we have here to sell will come near to providing what we need in the States. So all of our stuff, our house, our motorcycle, um, all that we have is going to be a pittance. Um, so we're just going to have to ask God to provide for us. And so because of that, we're just going to give everything away. So he dispatched his children to dispose of all their goods in the neighborhood. I think, and I tried to get a hold of them to find out about this, I am almost sure they also gave away their house. But I do know that they took their motorcycle keys um, to somebody that needed transportation. 
a fellow missionary, and they sent the kids there and said, go give the motorcycle to Bob. And so they went down there, and they knocked on the door, and they gave the keys, Bob, this motorcycle's for you. Now, of course, he was astounded by this amazing and generous gift. God did go before my friends. That's another miraculous story, how they arrived in the States with nothing and how God miraculously provided for them. But, you know, to live like that, to live like that with so much freedom means that you have to be a part of another culture. You have to be a part of another kingdom where the currency really isn't money. It's something else. You have to be disengaged from the world enough not to trust in the getting and spending that we rely on so much. When we do intentional things like this family did, or like giving away retirement monies, or monies that maybe we think we should be saving for our children's college education, um, all these are worthy things. But as we put them out before the Lord and say, what would you ask me to do? We, we move into a place of saying, my father knows that I need all these things, but I seek his kingdom first. So there are two reasons to give that are specifically outlined in this passage of Luke 12. The first one is we give because we need so much. We give because we need so much. We need Jesus. We need his kingdom. And when we give away money, the currency of this world, we say, I actually need something so much more than this. When I'm depending on money, even in my imagination, money that I don't have, in other words, how many of us have depended on that money, if this money could come, how it would free me. When I'm depending on that, I'm believing that all there is is this lamp, this small room, this clouded place. When I don't put my faith in the words of the psalm, chariots and horses, I break free and I say, actually what I need is so much more than what this world offers. I may need a dress for a big occasion, or I may need a college education for my children. I may need health care or a car that runs better. But actually, what I need makes those other things pale in comparison. What I really need is the kingdom of God that's vast, eternal, expansive, and it is so near. That's what Jesus said. The kingdom of God is near. I need to be aligned with this reality that I cannot see. And giving money away says, you know what? I am of another kingdom, and I don't put my confidence in money. It's like Puddle Glum in the story um, of the silver chair, running to the fire and with his bare feet just stomping on the fire and putting out the hypnotizing force in the room and saying, no, there is a sun. So when we do drastic things, sometimes we're just saying just that. No, there is something more. Stuart and I have agreed to give a percentage of our money that forces us into regular dependence on God. This keeps us in a kingdom mindset. Now, I just want to make clear, being poor is not virtuous in and of itself. As we all know, poor people can be just as materialistic as rich people because they can put their confidence in money too, just like we are tempted to do. 
I put our, ourselves in the rich category, most of us, um, compared to the rest of the world. When we divest ourselves of money, though, for the purpose of being alive to God's kingdom, we are promised that we will have untold treasures that money cannot buy. Choosing to invest in the kingdom so that you're dependent on God's provision and direction keeps you alive to God. My needs for resources reminds me that I really need so much more than what I'm asking for. I need more than what's on this page that I'm asking the Lord for. When I give up belongings or acquisitions that comfort me, I acknowledge that they truly will never give me the comfort I most need, which is the presence of Christ. I need the unseen kingdom that is vast and cosmic and takes me out of a little cramped place of existence where I am tempted to live. So I give money away to rattle myself out of that grip of principality, um, the dullness of this world. So we give to the kingdom of God because we need so much. But not only do we give because we need so much, we give because we have so much. And if you look in this passage in the second paragraph, it says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We have a God who wants to give away. He wants to share his riches. We just don't always have space in our luggage for his riches. Hebrews again says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I always thought that this meant be content with the material possessions you have. And certainly contentment includes that. Then I realized he's actually saying, be content with what you have, me. You have me. I am always with you. I've done some reading in scripture on inheritance, and it's really convicting. Do I live like I am the inheritor of a kingdom? This inheritance, Peter tells us, is incorruptible, imperishable, and cannot be shaken. And it's God's good pleasure to give it to us. How do I access that treasure? Strangely enough, if you look at this passage, right after he says, it's your father's goodwill to give you the kingdom, he says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. To gain our inheritance, we have to get rid of something. We have to disengage from something that's keeping us trapped. We have to share with others. We have to, some of us will literally have to sell things or give away things just to be free, to provide ourselves with room in our money bags for treasures that money can't buy. When we think of giving, we often think of being less having less, right? We're left with less money because we've given something away. In God's kingdom, it's quite different. When you give something away, you gain something. You gain something more from God 
and his kingdom, you get an impartation, a closeness, a richness, a treasure that your money could not have bought. When we give money away, we give it with the confidence that God has promised that all our needs will be met. He may re-educate us on what a need really is, but our needs will be met. He promises that. He says, seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. All these things that you're worried about. He says that not only, though, will we have treasures that are in this life, that are our needs being met, we have treasures that are not measured by this world. And we come into a dominion of light and the sun, the real sun, where we have greater clarity of what really has value and what does not. When Stuart and I were discussing what to give in our first generosity initiative years ago, I had a list in my prayer journal of what we needed, just things in our home and in our lives. And we were praying through where we could find a chunk of money to give other than just taking more away from our monthly. Well, we do have this tax refund that used to come in. This is a little different now. Um, There was a chunk of money, and we thought we could give that. But immediately I was struck with anxiety. But Lord, I have all these needs that we need. And, and that's what we use to fix things in the house. That's what we, we use to make up the difference where things are, where there's a gap. And I was really working through this with the Lord and saying, if we give this money away, how are we going to meet these needs? And God just whispered back to me, can I not provide this and so much more? So on my list, I had a king-size mattress because we have a king-size bed and we really needed this. But I gave it up to the Lord, like, okay, Lord, we're going to give you this money. I will sleep in a hammock bed for the next two years. I'll do it for you. So shortly after we decided that we were going to do this, and we were filled with joy about it, um, we were going to give our cushion away, I received a phone call from Minnesota. My sister-in-law said, didn't you mention to me that you needed a king mattress? I said, yes. Well, I'm at a friend's house, and she has a $2,000 king mattress that's hardly been used, and she needs to get it out of here. And she would like to give it to you. And guess what? I can bring it down to you in a couple of months, which is a big part of the gift in my husband's perspective. I got off the phone, and I felt like God was laughing. You thought a mattress was such a big deal. We had another situation in which we had a car breakdown and a computer breakdown all in the same week and no money to fix either of them. A woman that we have never seen in the church before or since walked up to a staff member at church and asked him to give us, give Stuart the pastor and his family, whatever I pull out of my pocket. And she just stuck her hand in there and pulled out this wad of cash, which was $2,000. I don't know who this woman was or where she came from, but she was sent to our church on that day. Everyone wants a miracle story, but no one wants to live in a way in which a miracle is needed. Is that not true? We all want to tell a miracle story later. We just don't want to live through the life that's going to require a miracle. So God provided for us materially as a reminder that he does see and he does provide. So we can leave off worrying. But the more I give away, the more I find myself engaging with a true eternal treasure. People. 
the work of God. It's like a veil is lifted and you begin to see people differently. You see the community of God and the work of God and the community of the church. We give because we have so much more than this world. This is not our first culture. We're kingdom citizens. And within the kingdom of God, the currency is faith in a God who is so near. We choose to be present in the kingdom of God by giving so that we can say, I honestly belong to another kingdom. And I can say to you that giving in my life has freed me more and more from anxiety. I know that's really strange. It seems counterintuitive. But giving has released me to the Lord to say, I really trust in you. And now I do feel uncomfortable sometimes with the needs that we have. Um, we sit down and we go over our finances sometimes and we're brought to prayer many times. How is this going to be met? But as we do this, I'm pressed more deeply in to the riches I have in the kingdom of God, which are manifold. And they're unveiled to me when I am seeking them. Years ago, we had a woman on staff who led a women's retreat. It was her policy that a lack of money should keep no one from coming to a retreat. So she would cover the costs by passing an offering basket at the end. In the experience of her ministry, the offering had always made up the difference. It always met up the difference that they needed to pay the retreat center. But this particular time, the offering fell short considerably by a few hundred dollars. So when Pat was counting the money, she was surprised because she was used to this need being met um, by the Lord through the offering. And she said to the woman next to her, would you count this for me Um, again because I must have miscounted. So the woman counted it and it was a little bit more. So she said, wait a minute, Pat, you you counted again. So Pat counted it and said, it's actually more. And so then they called someone else in, you know, could you count this money? Because we're not getting uh, the same number every time we count. And that person counted, and it was more. And they started passing the basket around the table, and every person would count it, and every time it was more. Until it was exactly the amount they needed to pay the retreat center. Now, God can make money out of thin air. I mean, he, he made the sun, he made the planets, he threw them in place. Why doesn't he just make money out of thin air for us all the time? Why doesn't he do that for our budget? Why can't Ann and Dan sit across from a table um, in the church office and just keep passing the basket back and forth (laughs) and counting and saying, oh, it's more, it's more, now you count it as more. Hey, we've met our budget. (laughs) Sorry, Dan. God needs us to jump in. Yeah, you'd probably rather be able not to depend on people. God wants us to be a part of his miracles. He wants us to have an opportunity. You know, God never misses an opportunity for us to step in to trust in him. He wants to shake us out of the kingdom of this world where we are trapped, where we are hampered, we're encumbered by our dependence on money and the things that money buys. And he wants us to come into the miraculous, come into a kingdom of different currency. Now, I wasn't at the table with Pat on that day when they were counting the money, but man, I always wished I had been. I heard the story and I thought, man, I wish I had been there that day. God invites us, though, to be at his table 
to be with him as he provides. In fact, he has a table for us where he provides for us everything we need as we come to him. He multiplies the loaves and fishes to be exactly what we need at every moment of every day, the daily bread. Give because you need to disengage from the principalities of this world. And give because you already have the kingdom. You have the kingdom that he is delighting to give you. It is his great pleasure. Megan uh, is going to come forward and give a testimony of the way that giving has transformed their family. So my husband Rob and I were blessed to be raised by parents who believe in tithing. So we love to tithe. We view it as a really tangible opportunity on a monthly basis to trust the Lord um, and remind ourselves of where our money comes from in the first place. Um, And as we've tithed, we've seen the Lord be so generous to us in return and provide through seasons of unemployment, of working at minimum wage, of constant debt. So when Resurrection started the Move by Jesus campaign, We looked at our budget, and we knew we wanted to give as much as possible. But it was disheartening to look at our budget, and especially at the fact of our large quantity of school debt. Um, And it gets really confusing to know what it means to be generous and to give when you're always in the hole, no matter how much money you make. And on top of that, we have both a calling to work in nonprofit organizations, so we're not looking at incomes coming in that could ever offset this school debt that hangs over us. So we were praying and thinking about how we could give to this campaign, um, and we realized that it was actually that very conundrum of lack that reminds us of how much we need Jesus to intervene in our finances. So it pushed us to have the faith to go ahead and make a commitment. Um, It was a quantity that was less than we wished it could be, but enough to make us feel the tightness um, in our lives financially with our children and just the things that we have to pay for. So it was all going okay until this summer, when we were suddenly hit by um, a ton of crazy financial crises out of nowhere. So in the space of a week, our newly purchased used van broke down, and the bill to get it working again was astronomical, like way beyond anything we could cope with. Um, My husband was transitioning from an old job to a new one, and in that process, the old employer realized, oh, we've forgotten to take out your medical insurance every month. Sorry, can you pay it all out of pocket right now? Um, Months worth of back pay for the insurance that was due immediately. Um, A very sweet babysitter cashed all of her checks at once um, of months of pay that we had given her, completely emptying out our bank account. And this was right before rent was due, and we were going on a vacation as a family that we were really looking forward to, and we suddenly had negative money. Um, On top of all of that, we got pulled very suddenly and surprisingly into a legal issue where we needed to act with integrity to protect some people, um, but we knew it was going to be really expensive to do it right, to have the legal counsel we needed. So we also had some... Friendships explode randomly, and that was really emotionally draining. So we were sitting in the midst of this, and it was almost, it's like, where do I panic? What do I panic at right now? It's too much. So I made a list in my journal. It was two sides, and on the one side, I just titled Prayer, and I just listed out all of those things, these, these crises that were hitting us and these things that we could not solve, we could not handle. 
And on the other side, I put the Lord's provision, and it was totally blank at that moment. So what I'm standing here, why I'm standing here today is because that provision side is no longer blank. It's overflowing. The Lord heard every single prayer request and provided so generously and creatively for our family. Our van was miraculously fixed for free, and the the fix was so complicated it took three weeks, and they gave us this beautiful van in the meantime so that our family could still get around um, and go on vacation. Um, My husband's old employer was gracious and helped us with some of that insurance money fee. They just swallowed it and, and helped us with that. It was amazing. Resurrection provided financial aid for us so that we could pay our rent, which was a huge gift. Um, friends and family took food out of their refrigerators and gave it to us so that we could go on vacation and still relax and enjoy our time as a family. And a family member who's not even a believer handed us a gift card and said, I know you're in need. Go out for dinner when you're on vacation and enjoy your time. And a fellow believer who is deeply kingdom-minded and also a lawyer gave us his help pro bono, hours of help, to help us with that legal issue we were in. And the bill would have been huge if we would had to pay, but he just gave it to us for free because he loves the Lord and he loves the church. And of course, all of those tangible things were huge, amazing gifts to us, but even greater was the opportunity it gave Rob and I to draw close to the Lord and to realize we were not free-falling. We were being gently held by the Lord in all of these moments of crises. And that gift of being in the Lord's presence, of being reminded of what culture we really belong to was just so sweet. And that has continued to carry us even after all these crises have passed, even now Still to this day, when we hit those moments of anxiety and tension and fear, we're able to look back at this summer and say with confidence, the Lord will provide for our family. And I know that the Lord is generous to his children, whether or not we're tithing. But I also know for myself that if Rob and I had not been giving in a way that hurt already this summer, we would not have recognized the Lord's provision when it came for what it truly was, which is the Lord's goodness and love for us being made tangible through his church. And as you can see, it still moves me to tears to think about this summer and the way that the Lord protected and loved our family um, and took this tiny, meager offering in the grand scope of things that we're giving to this campaign and just poured out a waterfall of love in return to us. So Rob and I are actually very excited for October 23rd when we're going to get to recommit ourselves to this Move by Jesus campaign because we come with a fresh sense of the goodness of the Lord and his provision in our It's just the least we can do to give to the church when we have a God who is so good and generous. Thank you. In your workbook, there's a place to put a takeaway question. And I'd like to give you a question just to reflect on this week um, in your prayer time. And that question is, how might God call me to give out of my need? How might God call me to give out of my need? This could be a financial place of need, but it could just be a soul need. And God is just calling you to draw near uh, by giving out of your need. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. 
As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.